episode 72, Relationship Ending Behaviors, Detect and Prevent. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Janine Lee Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back, everybody. I had to do a impromptu visit to Beijing with the boss, trying to learn some more things about the way Chinese hospitals do rehab for like muscle skeletal issues. Uh, so go and do that. And, you know, my wife, the translator, will not be with me. They're just going to, because she's pregnant. So they're going to bring another translator in that I've met before. Hopefully it'll be the same guy. And we'll just kind of see how uh, several days goes in the big bad business world. Wish me luck. Today's show is one that affects so many people. It affects your kids, whether you like it or not. It affects you, whether you choose to admit it or not. But I think most of us would say divorce is hard. And there's a lot of emotions. There's positives. There's negatives. There's anger. There's guilt. There's so many things that you process. And you maybe don't even know to process it until you visit a counselor or you read some books. And uh, you, make, you can make a choice to recover or just let life happen how it happens, and you can find ways to help prevent it from going on in the future. So we're going to discuss relationship red flags, dysfunctional communication, the four horsemen. If you find yourself in one of those, all right, now what do you do with it? Okay. Parent-child dynamics, so much more. Janine Lee also has, she has these classes, these group classes for mm, 10 weeks, and it's a group setting. And we'll talk about it in the show, and she's also training people on how to facilitate a group near you. So let's dive in to a fun conversation about a serious topic. A doctorperspective.net slash seven two for the show notes. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and the sweet Rocky Mountain God country of Colorado, we have a fantastic guest today. Her name is Janine Lee. Now, before she says hello, she has a a special place in my heart because as most of you know, at some point I had a divorce and she had these amazing classes and she was a facilitator and a, and a group leader. And we went through like 30 hours of this group. I don't want to call it counseling, but whatever it was, it was a, it was a group therapy session, if you will. And we just went through the highs and the lows, things you didn't even know you're going to have to deal with when you get a divorce. And uh, it was just amazing. And in fact, it was so good. I learned so much about myself that an opportunity arose to be a volunteer to help another bunch of group of people. And I did that as well and referred people to her and her book and her groups. And it's just amazing. And so I'm really happy to have her on because she has a special new thing that she wants to talk about today. So welcome to the podcast. Hey, Justin. Thank you. It's so nice to see you again. It has been a while. You look great. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I follow you on Facebook. It looks like you are um, getting into gardening and getting outdoors and really embracing that Rocky Mountains. Is that true? That's absolutely true. The, the mountains are my peace. I'm a fourth generation Coloradan, and it's in my blood to be in those mountains. I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought everybody was a one generation transplant. No, no, no. My great-grandmother came over from Germany with the age of 16, settled in northwest Denver. Oh, wow. Huh. That's a weird place to land. <laughs> That's what I thought. Not Missouri, not Plymouth, <laughs> whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I 
I enjoy being a Colorado native, although I feel sometimes like I'm being ousted by all the people moving in. Oh, it changes the dynamic, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it does. Well, I left, so one less weirdo out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, only 150 more moved in in your place, but okay. <laughs> That's how it goes, huh? Yeah. Well, I love what you did. You wrote an amazing book called Beyond Divorce, and it covers, like I said, so many of the emotions that a lot of people don't even realize that they're going to have to go through. Maybe anger, um, loss of a dream. Like when you, I was going to retire, sit on a swing and hang out with my wife and see the grandkids walk around and wham, you got a divorce. That's not happening. Life, life right. changes. And then you have to deal with that. Give us a little background about yourself. How did you decide to pursue uh, your profession and, and get so deep into helping other people through such a hard time in their life? Well, my I'm actually trained as a life coach and relationship coach. And so that is what I would call my profession. Okay. Uh, my The niche that I work with is divorcing people. So I actually came to this work, the life coaching, at a very um, tough time in my life, a very lost time. I wasn't happy in my marriage. My insides were literally being rearranged. I mean, I had a picture of somebody with a crowbar going in and straightening the foundations of my life. So I started going to the desert and one of, you know, that was like 18 years ago and I've done it yearly since, a week-long sabbatical in the desert. And um, it was at one of those points in time, sitting in the early morning sun, the gold sun of the desert, drinking my tea, reading my book of the moment with my golden retriever sleeping at my feet. And I just had this inspiration that I was to be a life coach. So on my drive home, which was about seven hours probably from where I was, um, I just was thinking about that, came home, researched coaching schools and never looked back. So that's how I got into that. But then my divorce work, I went through a divorce after 30 years of marriage. I was one of those that believed very strongly in generational family, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. So you're talking about the losses and how life changes. And it was, um, that's a loss of a dream, right? And all those things that we plan on. And in my more resourceful moments, I began to realize that I had gone through the divorce experience to train me to do my work in the world. And I have been working with divorcing people since. I understand their world. I understand the transformation that takes place. <laughs> in the courses, like you and I were talking about, I realized that pe people went through a whole lifespan while in my courses. They come in broken feed me, hold me, love me, take care of me, comfort me. Then in about the middle of the course, about the time we're discussing boundaries and forgiveness, they go through this puberty stage. We need to get started now. No, I'm not going to sit down. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah. <laughs> and then toward the end, there's more of a feeling of adultness. I'm, I'm complete. I'm whole. I'm healed. I've got a new vision. I want to go out into the world and express that. So in that way, divorce becomes a transformational experience. I don't remember what, you know, the whole thing. It's been a, it's been a while now. But there was a, a letter. And it was like a letting go letter. And you think, mm -hmm. oh, you think you got it. I got this thing licked. You know, the volunteering party. Like, oh, come on up and read your story. And I broke down. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Apparently, I've got some more healing to do. And then a few weeks later, you've got the anger letter, which is nice because you can just let it out. And you don't have to feel judged because everybody else is going next. And... 
it was really powerful. And like you said, like, people are kind of goofy and you kind of get the bonding with some of these people and you got to be told, hey, there's no fraternizing. Hey, try not to go on any dates until we're done with this whole series. Obviously not with each other, but in general, just let this be you time and me time to heal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, during the pre-talk, we mentioned there's different levels of communication because one of the, the goals of the podcast, is, and I've said this before, is people talk about they're making all this money, they're building their empire, and then they just quickly mention that they went through a divorce and they don't get to see their kids as much. And I'm just like, wow, that's a huge part of life and possibly more than likely could have been prevented. And uh, so part of it is to try to heal bad relationships <laughs> before mm-hmm. before the ending. Mm-hmm. So. And one of the things you were talking about was like different levels of communication. Well, expand on that for us. I wish I could get to couples before they get to that um, that breaking point, right? There comes a point of no return. Mm. But uh, so the way I have explained this to couples is they are not uh, in their current level of growth and development. They are not the people who can solve their problem. So it's like they're going along in life. They hit a block, just hit a wall. They can't see over it. They can't see around it. They don't know. And so they think it's time to just end um, because it's so painful to stay in that same place. So there's two ways to go when people hit that point. And that is one to exit. And before the, before they solve the problem, right, the problem is like in front of them and just get out of the way. Problem is in your next relationship, it will probably return Mm -hmm. because it's a growth step or you can go, uh, around it by getting more resources. Um, you, I, I say not around it, but grow past it by, you know, attending workshops, seminars, hiring a right coach, finding the right therapy module, which is harder with couples, but, um, you know, something, read books, anything, and then become the people who can then solve the problem. Because once we get bigger, we look back at that problem, which was just become smaller by perspective. And we can go, oh, yeah, now I get it. That's how, that's the answer. So when I work with couples, that's the way that we do that is by helping them to grow beyond their problem, right? Become bigger people who can then solve it. No, I think, yeah, because sometimes you just, you you can't have this, the hard conversation without both of you just going crazy. And you need that third party to kind of moderate and tease out what's going on in a deeper level. You really do. And I tell people that even the best relationships need a third party. It's sort of like you take your car in for a tune-up. There's no harm in that. There's no shame in it. It's my car's not, you know, I want to make sure it's running right. And then, of course, if you actually need a mechanic to make changes to your car, <laughs> then you've got that. But coming to a coach is it's, it's really good practice to keep things running smoothly, to help you communicate. That happens a lot when I work with couples coming out of um, an affair, infidelity. They, there's been a huge um, trauma in their relationship. It really dropped a bomb in there. And each party in that situation needs something. And so to meet regularly with me or a relationship coach helps them have that fine tune and that tweaking because we'll do, we'll meet weekly at first um, because it's in a traumatic place, critical. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go on to every two weeks to once a month to sometimes, you know, once a quarter and just having that place every quarterly to know they can come back and tweak it has been really, really helpful. So a coach is really a good thing to have on board. And, w- and it's interesting 
when you look at a marriage, we take up things like, okay, so roles are a big one. The example I like to use are a spender and a saver. You know, relationships are always trying to balance themselves. So you have somebody that's a saver, somebody that's a spender. And if it's somebody's really a spender, this other person's going to automatically take up the space of really being a saver. Right. Right. But you, right, right, right. But you can, and those are roles we take on because the relationship itself needs those roles. So, but we, what we can do is drop the roles as you would say a robe, drop them. And then each person then can then take on a role, take the role back on, but in a less polarized place. Mm. So the one who was the spender can also go, yeah, I get it where we need to save some, you know, I see the wisdom in that. I will also take on part of the role of being a saver and vice versa. Right. So that's one of the ways that couples can really help is what roles are we taking on? How invested are we? We are not the roles. The roles are not us. It's just a role we're playing to make this relationship thing work. Good point. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So there's all kinds of ways that we balance each other. We have an introvert, we have an, an extrovert, and those are often together. And at first, what, that's one of the things that attracts us to each other is, oh, you're really outgoing, you'll help me get out into a social life, to the extrovert. Oh, well, you're really grounded, and I feel so at peace with you, to the introvert. And then after a few years, they're fighting each other. You never want to go out. Well, you never talk to me. Well, you know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> so a third party can explain and normalize those things and that they're good and find out how each role or each one of those dynamics is important to the marriage. I look at it like a fire. The extrovert is really hot and fiery. It's like the kindling to get a fire going, whereas the introvert is more like the big, long-burning log, right? Both are needed to create the fire, mm-hmm. right? right? It's really a great example. And there's so many different what we would call polarizations the things that end marriages and people don't know how to work on that are needed they're actually needed and it's not a problem i've heard it the opposites attract each other and then later that's actually what you end up fighting about exactly it's what i was just talking about okay yeah exactly and this is another interesting point that conflict has gotten a bad name mm-hmm. all over the place, right? It's what starts wars and, you know, all that stuff. But conflict in a marriage relationship can actually be a good thing. What it usually, what I have found, what is usually wanting to happen there is the relationship itself. And when I talk about the relationship, I'm talking about a third entity, okay. right? Not just him and her, uh, but a third entity that has its own goals and hopes and dreams and um, it will require things of the two people involved in the relationship to make it work in this case a couple right Um, but conflict always means the relationship wants to go deeper and it's testing am i safe with you to let you deeper into my heart Right. And so there's all this, no, nope, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. So I'm going to fight about it. Right. It's testing. It's poking. It's, you know, well, you said this and you did that. But what's really wanting to happen is a deepening of the relationship. Okay. And that could be subconscious as well. Usually is. Okay. Because until you know that, until you hear somebody say that, you don't realize it that that's what's going on. You just think it's a fight and, oh my gosh, we're fighting. So this must be a bad relationship. I guess we have to leave. Not so much. So it could be like the stereotypical, 
wife who, quote, nags to get attention. And so the husband pushes away. He's like, ugh, can you just stop? And she's like, you just, you're not reading between the lines. She just wants to spend time with you. And if you gave her that mm-hmm. for a while, she would stop asking because she's feeling loved because you actually are spending time with the person. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this brings me to another point is that there are uh, four relationships, and this is from John Gottman, relationship researcher. Mm-hmm. There are four dynamics in a relationship that are so toxic to it that he calls them the four apocalypse <laughs> or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes. Right. And so it's criticism and contempt and defensiveness and stonewalling. And when those are present in a relationship, they will take it down. So when people are being critical, so I always tell people uh, a criticism or a compl- no, it's a complaint is just an unspoken request, like the wife you're talking about. Come spend, you know, you never spend time with me. Well, her her request is please come spend time with me. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we can reframe that when we're in a relationship, it makes a big difference. Yeah, that's a great book, by the way. If you haven't read it, anybody, the, the Gottman. I don't know what the book is called, but it's his classic. John Gottman, Four Prince, I don't know, whatever, Four Horsemen, I think that's what it's called, right? It might be. The one I'm thinking of is Seven Principles to Make Your Marriage Work. He okay. has a number of books out, but that is a very good one, a lot of exercises. And in there, since people are going to now go out and read it, <laughs> I will tell you that there is one antidote to the Four Horsemen, and that is what they call, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it, but it's, oh, Gosh, I, that's too quick. But it's where you make a an attempt to reconnect. You know, you may like stick out your tongue and put your fingers in your wiggle your you know figure wiggle your fingers in your ears, or just even put your hand on a shoulder and say, "I'm really sorry. Let's just stop this." Mm. Um, right? It's just where you you just break up the dynamic that's going on instead of going at it and let it get bigger and bigger. You, there's a word for it, and I can't think of it right now. It's like um, self-aware that it's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like a safety and, word. And making repair attempt. That's the one. Ooh. It's a repair attempt, right? It's it's where you just you know you pulled up the white flag and say, wait a minute, what are we doing? I love you. Let's take this down a notch. And the counter to that is the other person then has to respond to the repair attempt. So it goes two ways. One person has to realize. We're in it too big. We got to stop this. And the other has to say, you're right. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got a simple example. Hopefully people don't get too weird. I had a, uh, a lady friend and we were making pancakes and she didn't like the way I was doing it, like the way I was buttering them. <laughs> and it was, it was starting to get heated, like heated. Like I was like, what is happening? Like I, I was just like, okay. And, and we, I was aware of it luckily and paused. We took a time out and then we found out what the root cause was and it was, we took care of it. It was fine. You know, tempers didn't get too crazy, but it was just one of those weird things where you're like, this is what we're going after. Pancakes and butter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then after a while, you can actually joke about it. And if you see yourself um, getting a little wild later on, you can be like, hey, hey, butter. You're like, oh yeah, butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, that's great. You have a key word. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that kind of brings us back full circle to what you asked me a while ago about communication styles. So, you know, there's this, there's sort of three different levels that you can go to. And that one is this sort of uh, what I would call a law relationship where you throw rules at each other. 
It may be relationship research. You know, you leave a book on the counter for your partner to pick up. Read this. It's got all that, you know, this is how we need to be doing things. And so there's not a lot of, it's more of a mental thing where we're, um, we want to go by the rules to make our relationship work. Then we drop into circumstances. We want things to be the same on a circumstantial level, like buttering the toast, you know, the pancakes. You're not doing the right way. But really, there was a bigger thing below that. You didn't mention what that was. But when we can drop in deeper, we go, wait a minute, what are we missing here? Why aren't we communicating? And it's a heart-to-heart place of communicating. And so people, your audience that are working at building a business and doing all these you know, are are maybe challenged to keep their marriage together while they're building a business. It's like taking the time to realize where your relationship is. Are you just barking at each other about, well, you didn't do this right. And therefore I'm, you know, I'm mad at you or, you know, put so much strain on the relationship. Or can you just kind of go take your partner by the hand and sit down on the couch and say, what's happening here? How can I meet your needs? I know I've been busy. I know I'm really, my focus is elsewhere and it needs to be on you. And I'm really sorry. So let's, can we connect right here and start over? And you see, you feel the difference in that of being able to drop into the heart instead of, well, you're always nagging at me. Well, you're never home. You know, that's, that's just, that's circumstantial. And that's the complaint again. Well, the, the request is, could you please spend more time with me? Like you were mentioning before. But we get in such routines. Like, like you said, like if you notice in it, get help quicker versus waiting until you get to that line where you're like, I don't even really want to come home after work because I know yeah. what it's going to be. Exactly. Exactly. And that's when dropping down into the heart is really important. And some people don't know how to do that at all. And that's where third party help can come in working with the relationship. So when you look at the conflict in relationship and it's saying we want to go deeper and you don't know how to go deeper, you either stay the same and fight about the same things and stay in the circumstantial battles or you seek help of some kind, whether it's a book or a group or a coach or whatever it is, and you learn how to drop deeper into your heart, which is ultimately better for you personally as well as better for the relationship. We all want to come from a place of heart, I think, in our lives. What would you say, I've read enough books to where I think, I mean, I kind of already leading leading the question here, but I want to change. My spouse doesn't want to. They don't see the problem. And so I'm going to, what? Can I read some books and change myself? And then that person will end up changing. Do I treat this person like they're God's gift? And then eventually they'll change their mind and, and be nice back to me. I mean... What can we do? What's maybe one tip we can do if you're, you want to change, but the other person refuses to acknowledge? Yeah, that is probably the hardest dynamic to work with because you can't change another person. Right. So one of the things you can do is you can set limits on their behavior, right? Boundaries. You can use boundaries by saying, you can't treat me like this, by saying, I need this, um, And I'm not going to be around you as long as X behavior is going on or as long as you treat me this way because we have control over us. And the way I want to be treated is about me, right? So Mm -hmm. I can say you're not getting in any further into my heart unless you earn the right to be there. 
basically, right? But it's, it's not like a divorce ultimatum. It's more like, I'm going to go into the garden. I'm going to go for a drive. If you're just going to be like that, I got to get out of this space. Exactly. Well, and that's temporary, right? So that's in the middle of an argument or somebody's yelling at you or saying mean things or whatever. It's like, yes, definitely put a stop to that and, and go somewhere else. But if it continues and you continually ask over and over and over for changes in the relationship mm -hmm. and the other person isn't interested, then that is really the challenge. So you can set behaviors on it, right? Oh, you want sex tonight? I'm sorry. I just not, don't feel unconnected to you. You know, without these particular changes or, you know, whatever it is, uh, that's mm -hmm. just an example. And people have more power in a relationship than they realize. You know, they feel like they have to do all these things to keep their partner happy. And it's nice to do, but it's not imperative, right? It has to be a mutual meeting before genuine happiness is created. And if they just can't do it and won't do it, then you're in that choice of can I live the rest of my life with this without getting this particular thing that I need? Like I have a friend who has a husband who's an engineer. She loves him to death, but she says he just doesn't do the connection thing because he's got an engineer's mind. And interestingly enough, the two vocations that came to my divorce recovery classes the most were engineers and like nurses, teachers. So oh. the ones that couldn't drop into their heart and the ones that were so in their heart, they were taking care of everybody. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that so, is. Yeah. So this gal's married to an engineer and she says he's great in every other way. And she's just decided because she loves him that that's, you know, she'll live with that. He may never meet her on a heart level, but they do a lot of things together. They've got kids. They have a great life. So for her, that choice is worth it. For some others, you know, like if there's abuse or, you know, wow. something, you know, financial, somebody's running them into the ground financially, you know, there's all kinds of things that you just can't live with. Right. And if the ultimatums don't work, you know, if you don't stop spending all our money and putting us in debt, I'm not going to stay in this marriage. Then, I mean, that's a very hard drawn boundary. And yeah. sometimes you have to, to, just to protect yourself. And those are the ones that make me sad because there's really nothing you can do. But there's that space in between. Of, you can see a third party who will say, do you see how close she is to walking out the door? Do you really get that? Because a lot of times, especially for guys, I don't quite understand this, but especially for guys, they don't often take their wives seriously. I don't they think it's PMS or it's just she had a bad day or what it is, but she feels like she's saying over and over and over, I need this, I need this, I need this, and he's not changing. And there's even a door song that says, don't you love her when she's walking out the door? Right? Mm. Men, I've heard men fall in love with their wives when they're walking out the door. And that is, I'm working with a client recently who said, I am filing divorce papers. I've got them right here. If you don't do X, I'm going to go file. All of a sudden, he woke up, got rid of the girlfriend, and said, okay, Oof. yeah, but, you know, how long could she wait? Am I going to wait until you decide to get rid of the girlfriend? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? It's like, no, right. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to get divorce papers. They're here on my counter. If you want to get rid of her and come back and work on the marriage, I'll hold off. If you're not, I'm filing. That's a hard boundary. And in her case, it made a difference. 
He actually well, decided what was the thing he wanted. And bravo to her for wanting to stick it out. Exactly. Brilliant strategy. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of good books, too, on, you know, after the affair and how do you recover? And because mm-hmm. they're going through their own thing, you're going through your own thing. It is just there's so much wrapped up into that. I think at that point, you really need to have a third party. <laughs> you do, because, you know, what a really interesting thing about an affair is that the relationship, the third entity, actually needs something that the two people are not providing to the relationship. So mm-hmm. one of the parties can actually go outside of the relationship to get that thing, right? So the interesting mm-hmm. part about working with a coach is you can discern what is that thing that is missing, right? I don't want to go into this this particular client's situation because it's a little too personal, no, that's fine. But um, but what do you know? What is the relationship looking for? And then f- bring the energy of that back in. Right. How do you feel when you're with this other person? Well, I feel strong. I feel happy. I feel like I'm in charge. I don't feel like I'm being, you know, mothered or controlled. Okay. So what would it be like if we brought that, if you could have that in your relationship? And so working with a coach, you find out what those things are. And then the relationship has to expand to incorporate that new way of doing things. Because I don't think there's very many people, I don't know what a number would be, but your somebody's needs are not being met for a while mm-hmm. to them want to and find another person, whether that's on purpose or whether that's the classic, you're kind of just having tea at work. Tea turns into a dinner and then dinner turns into, Oh, business trip, <laughs> hotel. Oh crap. I didn't know this was going on. Like you set it up for the last six months, but your home life set it up as well because somebody's needs weren't being met, whether that was spoken or unspoken. Right. And of course, there's just, you know, horrible people that just cheat on people for no reason. But there can be. But, you know, in the same time, while this person is going out and getting the dynamics that are needed in the relationship, when we bring them back in, then we also work with the other partner for how do we incorporate these? What is, you know, what is being required of you right now? So the Mm -hmm. number one relationship ending dynamic is some sort of a parent child where one is in control, in charge, you do this, you do this, you know, um, sometimes even in charge of all the finances and doesn't give the other party, you know, gives them a tiny budget, you know, there's no equal sharing in finances, it can go pretty extreme. Mm. And the other person on the other end of that then is feeling like a child, you don't listen to me, you're always telling me what to do. And if it's if it's a woman who's the, the take charge parental type, the guy can be feel very emasculated and really will then just, you know, fight back or leave the relationship in order to find some self sense of self-respect. Well, in that case, we have to work with the wife to tone it down, to mm-hmm. learn how to be equal and respect her her guy. And then he's got to learn how to step up and really be able to confront her, right? Because every woman deep inside wants a man who can contain her. And mm-hmm. if and if he's being, quote, weak, he's got a, in her view, he's got a different way of being in the world, then, um, then she's not going to feel contained. She's not going to have the same kind of respect as if, you know, he could really, he has, see, and he has to grow to be able to do that, right? He has to grow yeah. into his masculinity. I've referred guys to different uh men who are coaches working in the men's movement, mankind project, that kind of thing, to become yeah. right stronger, how to 
contain their women, how to be for their women. It's a, and, and it's a needed growth step, whether you stay in a marriage or not. And this doesn't have to be just the woman who makes more money than you. It could, she could not even have a job, but just has a very strong personality that the man's just not able to, I guess, like you said, step up to the plate for. Right, right. And people challenge that because they think if I stand up to my controlling partner, that may be the beginning of the end of the relationship. And it's possible, but you got to at least try it first <laughs> mm-hmm. before assuming well, it's already it's all automatically going to end it if you do. And we, you know the problem is we all have either dads that were there, dads that weren't there. You know, I always say like daddy issues, or but we were all raised by somebody, and that in, inherently is going to cause some damage. <laughs> and so you may be compensating for something that happened when you were a kid that is not even a a necessary part of uh, of life now, but it's been so ingrained that you kind of maybe unaware of it. And again, it takes maybe a third party to unpack that. So you're like, hey, why are you acting that way? You're doing this. And you're like, well, peel back all the layers, you figure it out, and then now you can heal and potentially move on. Well, we were talking about parent-child. Um, mm-hmm. So there's two ways that that shows up. One is if I am perfect, maybe you will love me, right? As a little kid in our parents' household, Usually that happens with dad, right? If I'm the football star and I make X amount of money and I have the right girlfriend and, you know, if I'm perfect, will you be proud of me? Maybe you'll love me. Maybe you'll give me the attention I need. The other one is if I take care of you, then maybe you will love me, right? If I bring you tea, if I cook dinner before you get home, thinking about a child with mom, right? Mom's working a couple of jobs, especially if it's a single mom. Well, if I take care of you, maybe you will love me. And that works great as when we're kids, because those mm-hmm. that's really a very uh, healthy or adaptive behavior when we're kids, mm-hmm. right? But the survival almost exactly to get the love and the affirmation that we need to grow. But that the problem comes in when we take those into our marriage, and we've got somebody that's always caretaking. Remember, I said the nurses and the teachers, one of the vocations most represented, right? Well, if I if I take care of you, you will love me. And But in relationship, we want to be equal partners, not one that's caretaking, right? Because we caretake all the time. <laughs> this is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's like, how can you be mad at me if, because I'm doing all these nice things for you, right? It's almost, mm-hmm. it's really a tricky, it's a give to get, right? I'm going to do all these things for you so you give me love, but it's not a free giving. Or, yeah. um you know, the perfectionism thing, if if we're perfect over and over, but we don't really want perfect partners. We want a partner to meet us. Yeah. Right. And then, and, and if we're trained to be perfectionists, then we're not only perfectionists with ourselves, we're perfectionists with how the house is taken care of. And, you know, did you put, you know, is the car clean? You know, all of that stuff. We're perfectionists around us. And it's hard to live with a perfectionist. So people get tired of it and they want to leave the marriage because it's, you know, so that's one of the ways that the ways we grow up affect us in our marriages. And we have to learn how to adult relating at that point instead of parent child relating. Oof. Y'all, she's going deep on y'all today. Yeah, sorry, I hope, I hope it's not too deep. <laughs> no, it's good. I think if this is the topics that you don't get to hear a lot of. And uh, like I said, she's got a great book out there. And if you can. You used to facilitate these these divorce recovery groups 
uh, you, you've kind of gotten away from that. You you started your own thing. And then it's kind of morphed now. Instead of you leading these groups in Colorado and Denver and all that, you're starting to try to teach other people to do what you do in other areas. You want to elaborate on that a little bit for us? Mm -hmm. Yes, I actually am teaching other people to facilitate the Beyond Divorce Recovery and Empowerment Program. And I'm having great fun doing it. I realize that I can have a bigger impact with my work by other people teaching it, facilitating it. And so I've got... Um, I already have it being facilitated in other parts of the country, which is great. It's very fulfilling to me. So it's, I don't know, it's about, take, ends up taking about four months, maybe five months for the training. And so to mm. go from just having an interest in doing it and not having a business card or a website or even much of a social media presence and getting all those set up and getting contacts, you know, people that can be in your groups and then running a group, that's not a bad thing for, you know, six months to go from nothing to, uh, you know, being able to not only help people, but also create some income for yourself. And what I'm finding is it's really good to supplement um, a, maybe a part-time income or a retirement income. It wouldn't replace a full-time job. It, there's just you know, that would take a, a, an awful lot of a push, but fairly easily you can supplement those others part-time or retirement. So give us a, you know, at one point I was fired up and, and was like, hey, this was a couple of years back before you had a real program. And I think I'd called you like, hey, I, I, there's hurting people out there. I'm really, you know, I was kind of looking for like a little a little side hustle to make a little extra income because it's not cheap to do these, to be a mem to be a participant but it's not expensive either. It's a really, really worthy investment of your money and time. And um, the program wasn't quite there yet. And, and I was too busy doing other things to, to really put the time and effort in it. But I was like, this is a really good thing. So for those who could find like the, like an interest in this, it kind of tweaks their, their interest a little bit. What is um, like a, maybe an, uh, a brief outline of maybe some of the classes that you would take or what's, what you're responsible for as, as a facilitator of one of these groups? Um, the main thing we're responsible for as a facilitator is people's hearts. People come at a very vulnerable time in their lives, and sometimes they are completely broken open, and they just need to be held contained, get them some calm. Um, you know, some people come at different phases. Some people are terribly broken, and they just need to be held. And then we work them through the, um, the steps, you know, the First one is sort of an assessment of where you are in your divorce, you know, um, all the different areas, how you're doing with your family, how you're doing with your health, your spirituality, your fun and recreation, your the the legal challenges, all of that. It's an assessment. Mm -hmm. The second one is learning about the steps of transition and what that means and also getting some relief from some of the harder emotions like <clears throat> guilt and fear and um, rejection and oh I'm just trying to off the top of my head but then we have <laughs> two nights as you mentioned particularly dedicated to grief and then anger and then one for forgiveness and boundaries self-worth learning what went wrong which is part of what I just was teaching you a little bit on the parent-child 
<laughs> that's some of the stuff that mm-hmm. goes wrong. And then um, dating and relating, and then sort of a launch in a, a purposeful way. How do I get back out in my life? So those are the 10 sessions. But the program itself actually has a marketing component, a preparatory component, where it's like, how do I find venues? How do I do registration? How do I take payments? That kind of stuff. And then training for each of the 10 sessions. That sounds perfect. Because that's one of those big things that everybody, I think, needs, especially like with chiropractic and a lot of doctor stuff. We want to know, we buy these programs, and then you're like, oh, I got to actually market this. Or, oh, I got to figure out how to do a dinner with the doc and get people to the actual dinner mm-hmm. to tell them about what I do. And that's sometimes one of the hardest parts. But what you were saying is you teach that, you provide that, you give templates and all the, all the things you need, the nuts and the bolts yeah. to actually make this a, a pro, a, not just profitable, but successful and, and easy and help Easier. a lot of people. <laughs> I've been doing this for, you know, some version of this for 10 years and I've learned some stuff and I've got, yeah. you know, I've got some stuff figured out and I really want people to be successful doing this. So I don't withhold anything. It's like with these weekly trainings, I will answer anything. I've given all of my, you know, I've developed quizzes, I've developed all this stuff and I freely hand it out while I'm doing this training. So people get a facilitator's guide, which is, I don't know how big it is. I have a notebook. It's like a four inch notebook (laughs) that has timelines and notes and the right, the questions to ask how you set it up. It's got all the stuff because I've taught it so many times. And then I, a student syllabus that I call a toolkit and then my book. So there's the three things. So it's pretty much a turnkey program. You can buy this thing, get the training and go out and do it. Um, This one gal that I'm working with right now is, I think she had six gals in her first training and she just was given permission. She's a counselor to school system. She was just given permission to reach out to all of the people in her school system that are getting divorced. It's like 1500 people. And so for her next class, she's going to be really rocking it and, and she's doing a 30 person class. She's going to do it as retirement income. And she's even thinking of doing mm. two classes at once. So, you know, she'll be, you know, she'll be doing it. I've got another guy. Um, he's not finishing the training right now because he ended up, he's moving to residences and it's just crazy time in his life. But the medical doctor in California in Santa Cruz. So hopefully, mm. and I'm going to invite him back to the next training and he'll get up and rolling then too. But it's great fun. The first night of uh, this gal's class, she sent me a photograph of her setup and I just cried. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, here it is. You know, it's expanding. It's like casting seeds or something. It was just a very, um, it's very meaningful to me to know that so many more people are going to be helped with this work. Because when you're in it, man, it is hard. And it's oh. so hard to do it on your own. Nobody should do it on their own. So to have this available to more people is like a, a dream for me. I, I agree. I mean, we had guys and girls in the group, so it's not just a girl thing. Obviously, you just said a guy's going to facilitate it. But I mean, it's a mix. You got people, I mean, man, like horrible stories to just, we just fell apart. And I just don't want that to happen again. I mean, the it runs the gamut. There's lots of emotions going on in there. And um, it was just nice to have the accountability all the people in the group, you got to call each other and kind of just make sure everybody's going okay. And if you don't do it, you get called out <laughs> for it. And it's like, 
<laughs> yeah, and there's a reason because it's good for you yeah. to do those things. Yeah. You know, I got, I got a message um, a month or so ago from someone on Facebook and she's like, hey, you really you recommended this program for me. Just wanted you to know it really changed my life and I'm getting married uh, in a week or no, like like the next weekend or something like that. And she's like, I just wanted you to know. So thankful that you introduced me to her and um, that type of stuff. And it's like, that's a, that's a powerful testimony right oh, there. Oh, that was for this program. Oh, yeah. okay. you said a program, so I didn't the know one... you which one talking oh, about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Your program. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> As a student. Uh-huh. Um, goodness. Where people can find information about this program and then you in general? Uh, probably my website is probably the best way, beyonddivorce.com. All right. Beyonddivorce.com. You've heard it here first, people. <laughs> um, You're such a goof. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We have a few more questions. You have a little more time? I do. Yeah. Where do you see life coaching, particularly your program? It sounds like you would love to be in every state, but where do you see everything kind of going in the next five years? That's a tricky one. So the the life coaching profession has gotten very watered down because anybody can hang up a shingle and say, I'm a coach, which makes Mm -hmm. it really hard on people like me who have spent tens of thousands of dollars on training. Um, So I think that particular profession is going to continue to um, be watered down. It's going to be harder and harder to find people who are actually trained coaches with skills. Um, Do you all have any kind of certification, like um, something kind of behind your name that you can, I'm sort of like, like yoga people have a very particular certification that if you look them up, they're like, oh, wow, this person actually knows what they're doing. They've gone through this program. Do y'all have something like that? Yes, I, I have many of those because I've taken so many trainings. Um, and I don't know that people look for that. We do have a governing board called the International Coach Federation that has different levels, an ACC, a PCC, and an MCC for associate, professional, or master coach. That's one good way for people to tell the difference. Because you have to, it, it is actually, you don't get those levels without meeting certain criteria. So that tells you one way um, to look for a, a, a real coach with training, I guess I would say. Um, as far as the divorce niche, it is actually, at least in the area I am in, um, really quieting down. And I think that's, you know, maybe people are not divorcing much, as much, but I think it's also people are not marrying as much. Right. I think for the yeah. first time in our country's history, I think I heard it a couple of years ago, there are less marriages than there. Um, there are less than half of people getting married, something like that. So when you're doing your Facebook marketing, it just have to be cohabitat split up recently. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And I think also because, I mean, marriage makes a difference. So if you're just cohabitating with someone, it can go as deep as marriage, but often it doesn't because people don't dive into it. They're not as committed to it. So the breakups mm. are a little bit, can be a little bit easier, um, not as deep as someone who's been married and really opened their heart and their life and their memories and all of these ex- experiences to another person. You know, if you've just got one foot in and one foot out, it's like you can leave it pretty easily. And I think more and more people are going there. So one of the things... Mm, so they're not even like fully committed for like five years. They could still be kind of happy, wishy-washy. They can, yeah. It doesn't mean... Mm. I mean, I'm seeing that more and more. People are just, you know... Right. And I think they also um, don't recognize the need for overcoming the emotional aspect of that. They deny it. They just move on, get a new partner, 
right? And that does make them feel better, but it's not really the way it works, right? Because often if you do that, when the second relationship ends, you end up grieving both of them rather than doing one at a time, you know, doing one, cleaning it up and getting ready for another. So, um, Good point. so that is, is changing. But one of my interests now is what I call upheaval to up level. And that is, I have a website, upheavaltouplevel.com. I am not promoting it very much, but I like the idea because upheavals are not going away. They are actually getting more, right? There's all kinds of upheavals. There's bankruptcy, there's health crises, there's emptiness, there's retirement, there's car crashes, there's natural disasters, there's divorce and relationship endings. All of these things can be traumatic upheavals in our life. You know, we're just going along, mm-hmm. everything's great, and then boom, something happens, and we're just tossed into this upheaval. It's a lot of the same emotions as what we go through in a divorce, you know, the grief and the anger and the what the heck just happened and the transition stages, you know, all of the tumultuousness. It's like having a rug pulled out from under you and everything goes flying. And, and the right. same process of putting it back together. So, I, you know... That interests me of helping people use those upheavals as transformational experiences. Like how many times have you heard people say, um, you know, that my brain tumor was a horrible experience, but I'm, I just view the world so differently now. I'm happier. I'm doing X, Y, Z. You know, I feel like my, my life is more yeah. purposeful, that kind of thing. So that's what I'm hoping to help people capitalize on with the upheavals. But like I said, I'm, I'm um, still doing mostly the divorce work. But I see that's where it's going. When you're yeah. asking where it's going, I think that's where it's going. It's more into general upheavals rather than just one. Yeah. Well, you look at all the scholarship and all the organizations and nonprofits. It's like, man, they, especially like Hollywood people, they have an issue. They've turned it to an up level. They create a foundation. It's like, you know, there were already like 15 other organizations that pretty much did the same thing that you're doing. You could have just sort of joined forces with somebody. <laughs> I, <suppose> I could have. <laughs> See which Hollywood. Not you. I just mean in general, like, just a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, the I'm like, there's 10 other of those guys. Come on. Like, you could have just threw your money at them and then, you know, they don't have to re- recreate the yeah, wheel. I think that's, um, in some ways, I think that's how people up-level their upheaval, though, is by creating the foundation. Like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I think that was part of that woman's um, healing process was to create this and put all that energy into that. Yeah, that's a great one. And there's a whole bunch more like that, right? People taking these traumatic events and creating something new. So, All right. So I like this part of the interview. We kind of switch it a little bit more personal. And one of the good questions I like, what kind of other things are preoccupying your mind? We kind of mentioned being outdoors, but kids, hobbies, volunteering – We'll get you excited. Oh, okay. Well, I try not to let things preoccupy my mind. So let me clarify that. Mm. <laughs> I work really hard <laughs> to stay out of my head in that way. Um, but I am an avid lover of the out of doors. Colorado has a bunch of mountains that are over 14,000 feet, our highest peaks. And I've climbed 30 some of those. Take my camera with Ooh. me. Uh, one of my favorite things is going someplace I've never been and taking my camera. So, you know, capture, I look at the world a little bit differently when I'm looking through a lens. You know, you can see a piece of something mm-hmm. that catches your eye rather than 
taking a picture of an old truck, you can take a picture of a headlight or the steering wheel or, you know, something like that. So I look at the world differently. I try and I need to every day spend time in what I call wild places. It is what drops me into my body. It's a grounding place for me. So those are some of my favorite things. I love growing. I have a garden and I'm a, a big fan of healthy eating. So I've eaten organically for, gosh, I don't know, 25 years, I think. He's an OG in the organic field. Before you could even go to the store and get organic, Absolutely. you were living organic. So I became gluten-free about 10 years ago. And people say, wasn't that hard? And I'm like, no, it was just another thing to look for on the labels. It was I've been reading labels for years and years already. And anymore, I don't even I rarely go out to eat. Um, the food in restaurants just isn't the quality I need. So I grow my food. I eat a lot of salads, all that kind of stuff. Because I'm over 60, and I really like having a certain level of energy. And um, eating that way and being outdoors and keeping myself balanced, the work-life balance thing, I, um, allows me to have this certain kind of energy to keep doing what I love to do. So... That's awesome. You don't learn that overnight. No, you know, and you don't develop the habits overnight for sure. Every time I've, you know, for years and years, I did a uh, at least a week long juice fast, and every time I did that, mm. something out of my diet would drop away. You know, alcohol would drop away, or chocolate would drop away, or potato chips would drop away, and I just cakes, you know, pastry kind of things. I just wasn't interested interested in them anymore. And so, and as I've done that and gotten my system cleaner and cleaner, it tolerates less and less. So it's, you know, for me, that's fine. And that's from juicing? Yeah, yeah. Juicing. Um, I need to look into yeah, that. Yeah, live juices, um, greens and carrots and beets and that kind of thing. Just every day, instead of food, drinking um, live juices. It's pure nutrition. Mm. And um, Right. So you get everything that you need, uh, except for maybe protein, but you can go for a week and then just introduce things slowly back in and it's a whole different level. You learn a lot by juicing too, because you know, it can be starving and instead of snarfing down a huge plate of food, you can go get a glass of juice and be completely satisfied. So you realize how much of our eating is in our head and kind of like going, huh. Oh, yeah. So it's a great learning. Uh, just fasting from a lot of things really puts you in a very thoughtful place and a more spiritual place. More the body's lighter, the mind is lighter. Um, I enjoy it a lot. It really is. Eating at a certain time every day is a huge habit. You get off work, make mm -hmm. food, you eat. But any of those days where you're like, oh, I got a, a big dinner with some friends, three hours later, suddenly you're just not even really that hungry until that time. And like you said, it's a mind over food type of thing. You just have to fight through it for a little while until you change yeah. your patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's such good rewards yeah. to it. Like, I feel so good doing a juice fast. I, I feel like I could fly. If I could do it forever, I would. <laughs> but the body does need a few other things. Um, but it's just as, um, I don't know, the benefits are great. So you don't, you know, it's not a fight. It is at first. I mean, the first three days, yeah. you're actually kind of hungry. But after three days, you're not even hungry. It goes away. And which is right. really cool because one of the things about fasting is that your body actually then starts digesting things internally. And it works on the things that don't belong there first. Right? It starts digesting all the crap. That's why it's cleansing. 
my wife did a seven-day fast. Water fast? No food. Yeah, those are tough. Yeah, yeah. She had some kind of Chinese breathing technique and was reciting some kind of mantra to get her through mm-hmm, the food mm-hmm. times when she got hungry. Yeah. I was impressed. I went three days. I was like, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only certain people can do water fast. I really respect people that can do that. I can't. My blood sugar won't allow it. But that's why juice fasts work good for me. Mm, I like my cookie fast. That's <laughs> there like. you go. I guess somebody did a coffee fast once. And I, man, that's got to be hard on the body just to do coffee for a week. Ugh. Oh, man. That don't I, even make so sense. <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, a healthy lifestyle and work-life balance and being an out-of-doors, um, very fulfilling for me. I would love it. I know that you're going to have a great answer for this one. A morning or a lunch routine that grounds you for the oh, whole day? Oh, yes. Very, very important. For years and years, the first thing I do in the morning is what sets the tone for my whole day. So I'm big mm-hmm. on meditation these days. I wasn't for a long time. It was more of a prayer, like offering questions to an entity outside of me whom I have called God and now call more like spirit. Um and But it was like seeking help or answers from outside of me. Meditation now has taken me inside more to a resourcefulness in me. And, you know, we all live in the world and there's circumstances everywhere. We step into the world, into circumstance. But there's a peace that is beneath those circumstances. And that is what meditation helps me find. Is this pl- it's like a calm in the ocean. All right, the circumstances are all the waves and the raucousness, but deep into the ocean, there's a stillness there. Meditation allows me to go inside and to start my day from that place. And then from there, then I will do my exercise, and, and which may be a walk in the morning, or it may be something I do with weights on from YouTube <laughs> or something else, yeah. and prepare my food for the day. So um, all very basic things for me. What type of meditation do you do? There's a couple buzzwords going around I don't, out there. I don't know that I have a name. I'm not one a big one for following label kind of things. For me, okay, yeah, like TM yeah. or something. Um, I know it. TM has a big name. I just learned recently that Jerry Seinfeld is a huge TM practitioner. Isn't that interesting? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't really have a a label, but for me, um, and a lot of this started when I went through my own divorce, I was so in my head and so in the emotions of it that I just started trying to find, it was a book, The Power of Now, actually, that helped me start finding this. And I started finding a little tiny spot right on my breastbone. Um, And it, it just slowly through the years has gotten bigger and bigger the more I focus on the meditation. And that's where this peaceful place grows. And now it has gotten to where it's bigger than me. I can be in this peaceful place rather than just a little spot in me. So it's it's just a it bring, you know what it is. It's bringing all the little tendrils of myself that are all over the place. Right? There's one out here with my mother. There's one over here with my kids. There's another one over there at work or whatever it is. Right. And it's taking time to pull those in, almost like ribbons, pulling them back in to me, these ribbons of energy that are scattered all over and pulling them in and creating that sense of wholeness where all of my energy, all of who I am is back home where it belongs. Is the power of now, is that that Eckhart Tolle yeah, guy? Eckhart Tolle, T-O-L-L-E, yeah. Okay. Uh, funny, funny story. 
funny story. I, uh, I'm not really, I didn't know who this guy was. And someone was like, hey, we should watch a, a video of this guy. I was like, eh, whatever. You know, I like, I like to learn stuff. I was like, oh, I'm game. Let's, let's, let's learn about something. He walks out on stage and just sits there. <laughs> it, it felt like five minutes. He's just drinking his water, like looking around. And uh, then he finally talked. And like, I just said more words than he did in probably three minutes. Just everything was very deliberate. But that was the one thing that I really pulled from it was just being able to be, uh, I guess, content. Yeah. I don't know what, you know, words he used, but just being content with where you are and appreciating, you know, like, oh, I've got a glass of water that came from the faucet that came. <laughs> I've got a glass like appreciating, yeah. like, you know, mm -hmm. it takes a lot to get a cup of water from your faucet. Like I live in China. We don't get fresh water. Like I have to either mm -hmm. boil it or you pay for one of those big five gallon containers like that's how you get your water so anyway just kind of being appreciative of everything and and really being consciously aware of like all that kind of stuff like what it takes to create a cell phone that'd blow my mind like they're digging in the earth yeah. to get something out of there like yeah the one of the things he says in his book is to watch your mind like <clears throat> a cat would watch a mouse hole right to just like mm. when you watch it you know like watch your mind for thoughts like you would watch a, you know, a hole that a mouse would come out of. And how long can you have your mind empty before a thought comes? And that's really an interesting exercise because like even when you're trying to do it, it's like, you know, 15 seconds maybe. <laughs> but to be at a place where you can yeah. sit there for a long time and not have a single thought for however long, right? Because your mind is just empty. Is that the goal? Yeah. Oh, to have periods okay. of time where your mind is just empty, which when you're in that empty space, that's where creativity can naturally arise, right? That's the being place. Mm. So when you're doing, you have a different quality to your doing because it's coming from a quiet place rather than the, all the head okay. stuff. That's why I was saying I try not to be in my head. don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Well, even like when I think like Judo Christianity and prayer and, and it, these like prayer warrior people, it's not all God, this, can you do this? Thank you for that. Thank you for this. There is a point of where they're like, just shut up and just be there and see what happens. And a lot of it, they're like, you're going to think about everything, the grocery <laughs> list, like all the things that you just said, like there's all these thoughts that are going to pop up, get them out yeah. and just wait. That's meditation. Listen. That's what I think of as meditation right there. Okay. Just being, being still okay. listening Anything that takes you to that internal place where there's calm can be walking in nature. You know, there's all kinds of ways you can do that. Yeah. For sure. It doesn't have to be yeah. in a dark room, you know. I think that's what people think of. And I think meditation is like dark room, uh, you know, something like that. It's like, no, you could, like you said, you mm -hmm. could be anywhere is really doing it. Yeah. So, all right. You've already, yeah. You've dropped several great books on us already. But any other books blogs, podcasts, including your own uh, thing that you're doing um, that you secretly love or that you think okay. would be check out. Um, I'm not big on podcasts or blogs. Um, <sighs> I'm sorry. Except yours, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, I know where my downloads are coming from. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's one thing about my life is I'm very, um, very careful about my personal boundaries and what I allow in and what I spend time on. So I don't fill my, I just don't fill my head with a lot of stuff. Um, 
as other books, when you were just talking just now about Eckhart Tolle being on stage, the book um, Loving What Is came to mind by Byron Katie. And that's a great way to be present. And she has four questions, one of which is, how would I feel or how would I be if I didn't have that thought? So if you're beating yourself up about something of, well, I'm never going to be able to start this business and be successful, then one of her four questions is, well, first, her first question is, is it true? Well, okay, well, I guess I don't know that. Her Mm. second question is, is it really true? Because a lot of times people say, well, of course it's true. Is it really true? The third one is, how would you think about that if you could not think that thought? Well, I would just, I guess I'd just be in my current discouragement about it, but um, it doesn't mean it'll never happen for me, you know. And then the other one is, the last one is sort of a turnaround. Oh, I will be successful at my business, right? I will, you Mm. know, I will make it work. So it's a very simple book. It's about loving what is in any circumstance you find yourself in, finding a way that that's just perfect. So I highly recommend that. She has another book called A Thousand Names for Joy, which I also really, really like. So those are two that I could think of while you were talking. Uh, There's tons of books. Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. I've had so many books help me through the years. But right now it seems like those are the ones that are coming to mind. If this revolt, if my role is reversed and someone asked me that question, I really don't know what I'd say. I used to keep a list of books mm-hmm. that I read. And then now, like, I don't know what I would say. If someone asked me that, I was like, I really wouldn't know. It just depends on what exactly. topic you're referring to. Exactly. Sometimes. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, what an amazing insight you gave today. One more time. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, beyonddivorce.com. There's a contact form on there. My phone number is all over the place. So that's my website, beyonddivorce.com. People ask a good bit, how do you monetize a podcast? Well, if you have a big enough audience, you can just get advertisers and they just pay you a fee. Other times, you got to get a little creative, like with affiliates. So you recommend a product and then you get a commission. But hopefully you actually enjoy the product that you're recommending. And in this case, I do. So a doctorsperspective.net slash resources, you'll have all this stuff like Blueberry for the hosting. That's what I use. Set for set. They've got these wild steel maces. Well, I don't use that. They do have these power bands and they're great for stretching and mobilizing joints that definitely are locked up. Mentor box, get a book, listen to it by the author, summarizing the book, but also things that they learned since they wrote it, as well as a workbook to help you out. We got Primal Doc as a coupon code for Primal Health Bone Broth. It's paleo, autoimmune diet based. You got no sugar, no soy, no no allergies, no gluten, no dairy. And you can save 10% off with the Primal Doc code. You got Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels. If you ever wanted .com secrets or expert secrets, if you click that link, you can get the book at a good price as well as help me out. And then underneath that, Amazon, anything that the guests recommend, if you see a hot link, a blue link in the show notes, if you click those and buy one of their books or one of the products, I'll get a little piece of that. And I appreciate it. We have got new t-shirts. We've got a Louisiana theme. It's my home state. So I'm kind of fond of it. We've got a make lemon out of lemonades t-shirt. And of course, some chiropractic shirts that are uh, tongue in cheek, but hopefully you guys like them and gals. Also, if you're into lessons learned in China, my first book, uh, exercises, stretches to help with numbness, budgeting, all that type of thing. 
You can try four chapters free at doctorsperspective.net slash chapters. Also, acupuncture. If you like no needle acupuncture, if you like that idea, if you always wanted to try it, but you don't have one nearby or you just don't have two hours a day to go, you know, commuting and getting the treatment and everything, there's something you can do at your house, 30 minutes for a little over a week, and you can see results. Now, a doctorsperspective.net slash NA protocol, as in needless acupuncture. So NA protocol, and you get four chapters for free. These complete with the words and the pictures and how to do it, how, when you should do it, all those types of questions. Anxiety, insomnia, back pain, headaches. So check that out. You'll be forwarded to a page uh, with a video, and all you got to do is put your email in. And if you don't like the upsell after that, just scroll to the bottom, click no, and then you'll get to the next page to where you can actually download them. Also, if you've looked at doing an acupuncture pin, it's kind of like a TENS unit you would use for your muscles, but it's been modified for stimulating acupuncture points run off of a 9-volt battery. You can go to doctorsperspective.net slash ePIN, and you can buy that on the website as well. Thank you all so much for checking out all these resources. And if you have any questions, please let me know. Uh, rank us five stars. Leave a review. Greatly appreciated. As always, if you have any special guests that you would love to hear or a series that you would like, reach out on the top right of the website. You have all the social media icons. Just click the one that's your favorite and connect. We just went hashtag behind the curtain and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.